1: Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell. Joining me today, we have a man who has not yet, at time of recording at least, left his position to take a job in the <laughs> Netherlands. It's Joe Lowry. Hi Joe, thanks for sticking around.
2: You know, I, Taylor, I knew this was a big show for us. I figured I would wait until <laughs> after the show to tell uh-huh. you. Now I guess I'll just tell everyone. <laughs> I'm going to be on whatever the Total Soccer Show is in, in Dutch. Is that just the yep. Total Is that the Total Football Show? That feels wrong to say it that way. No, I'm not not going anywhere because, Taylor, one thing I love so much about the fact that you and I can see each other on these shows is how happy you look and how happy it makes me when your arms go above your head as you do your enthusiastic (laughs) intro. It gets me jazzed. It gets me amped. This is good stuff. Got to get that energy going, (laughs) trying to channel my
1: inner Jimmy Conrad uh, to talk about the USA's 2-1 friendly loss to Serbia. We're going to do that in a little bit. Joe was there. Joe's got plenty of thoughts. I've got a few thoughts of my own. But first, we were both on a conference call. Always an exciting way to begin a show. Uh, U.S. Soccer had another uh, press conference today in which they announced the departures of Ernie Stewart and Brian McBride. We knew Brian McBride was leaving uh, his position as men's GM, uh, but Ernie Stewart will be leaving the overall GM position to take a gig with PSV. Joe, uh, pausing there for a moment, not to put you on the spot, do you know what the gig is? Is he like sporting director? I, I feel like it was kept vague, but maybe that was just me not reading detailed enough.
2: Yeah, so Ernie Stewart was US Soccer Sporting Director and Brian McBride was the USMNT's General Manager. So that the structure, which I think is just helpful to lay out the foundation here for everybody because this is kind of in the weeds stuff and maybe people out there don't know. So Ernie Stewart was hired as the USMNT's General Manager back in 2018. So that was the sort of the first step in US Soccer building out some of their sporting department. He led the process to hire Greg Berhalter, which finished up when when Berhalter was hired in December of 2018 was then promoted to sporting director from USMNT GM. Lots of letters there. I apologize. Was promoted to sporting director in August of 2019, then helped hire Brian McBride to essentially fill his old role. And then you have this structure where Ernie Stewart's at the top, right? Imagine this as a little pyramid, Ernie Stewart's at the top in the sporting director role. He's got Kate Margraf to his left, Mm -hmm. who's the U.S. Women's National Team General Manager. Brian McBride to his right, that's the men's team general manager. And then Vlatko on the left underneath Margraf and and Beralter on the right Mm -hmm. underneath McBride. Now, really, there's only two people left in that little pyramid. It's it's Vlatko (laughs) as the women's national team coach and it's Kate Margraf as the U.S. Women's National Team General Manager. Earning Stewart's going to Eindhoven in the Netherlands. He's got plenty of ties to the Netherlands. Obviously, he is Dutch. So there's, there's a lot that makes sense about this move. McBride's out, basically said, yeah, we made it to the World Cup. I wanted to explore yeah. new opportunities. And now, Taylor, U.S. soccer has a blank canvas, which is weird and kind of exciting in some ways And. Also, maybe scary in another way, because I'm not sure that U.S. soccer has shown that they know what to do to make a pretty picture hmm. on, a, on a blank canvas. I where do you sit on this stuff, Taylor? Well, uh, first of all, I think I should have asked that question
1: more clearly. Thank you for laying all that out, because I think that is necessary structure. Uh, wh- what I meant, though, is I don't know the gig that Ernie Stewart is taking at PSV. Oh, I don't mistake. know if he is taking like the full-on sporting director job, or if he's just like heading back to PSV. That's what <laughs> I feel like was kept sort of vague in that announcement.
2: Yeah, that's that's my bad. I don't know the answer either. I there there's been coverage of this in Dutch that I haven't had a chance to read and I'm guessing Joe, it is floating it out there somewhere. Learn uh, your Dutch. You know, yeah, learn learn my Dutch and learn how to listen to Taylor. <laughs> good gracious. Uh, no, good man. no,
1: that really is good table setting because I think it's worth sort of explaining all that structure to then say we don't really know what will happen from here. Uh uh Cindy Pablo Cohn was asked about if their the kind of structure would remain the same and I think There wasn't a ton of clarity as to whether or not it would be that same structure or if it would just be a men's GM and a women's GM, and that's how they would leave it. Uh, But we do know that that search is underway and will continue, Uh, and I think their aim is to hire somebody – by midsummer end of summer maybe it sounds like they would like both the men's gm uh whatever position that may be and then the men's national team head coach to be filled by the end of the summer uh to do that they mentioned the company sportsology roughly 400 times in that call joe i was less familiar with them than you tell us about sportsology will you
2: Yeah, so Sportsology is like a a sports consulting hiring firm. One of those things that you have no idea how you get a job with them or or where they came from. Sportsology has helped out with a number of American soccer hires in the past. So they've helped out with the San Jose Earthquakes and their general manager search. They've helped out with hires for Inter Miami and FC Cincinnati and the Chicago Fire in the front office. Paul and Sam have, have way better background on Sportsology than I do. But basically, the track record is spotty. That's that's the best way I can frame it. It's not like they've never helped out uh, an MLS team hire someone who's turned out to be good at their job. But there have been a lot of moments. I mean, those clubs I just mentioned, Cincinnati, Miami, and Chicago, really, Cincinnati is the only one of those teams that's any good now. And they were the worst team in Major League Soccer for a while, back when Sportsology was working with them. So there is... There is not a great track record here, not a consistent track record with sportsology. But they're a no name in the U.S. soccer space among people that are that are working and making decisions mm-hmm. at teams and, and in the federation. So it's not a huge surprise to hear them brought into this conversation. But uh, I think it was Paul Tenorio who asked a question about yeah. that in the in the conference call. I think Paul is sort of already down this line of well, they're not they're maybe not exactly great at all this stuff. So I don't know, just just something to keep our eyes on there.
1: For sure. I appreciated him asking that because I was equally – confused or interested in why Sportsology had become such a prevalent part of this uh, manager search or GM search and then coaching search. Uh, The answer was basically, it's always interesting with these press conferences. Uh, And I'm assuming this is the case with any sort of corporate press conferences, you have to do a lot of reading between the lines and interpreting. Because uh, when asked like why Sportsology, I think the answer was basically we interviewed multiple firms and went with Sportsology because we felt they were best positioned to help us in the most pressing areas of need particularly in terms of reviewing our entire sporting structure. I think if you then asked, well, what were those pressing areas of need? I think the answer would be something that included the words pressing areas of need multiple (laughs) times. So I don't know how much clarity we're going to get there, but basically they've brought in consultants to help them make this hire. uh, And then I'm guessing as part of that GM hire will be, who do you think should be the manager and why? Maybe also if you wanted to go a slightly more conspiratorial route. It's U.S. Soccer already has the coach they want, and the sporting director will have to be okay with that. Uh, but either way, I think we, we, we're seeing essentially that we're going to get a fairly lengthy search uh, for that GM and then a, an abbreviated search for the manager after that, but still it means we probably won't have anybody in place until the summer. My, my one other question that I can think of right now, maybe there will be more Joe, but right now, at least I do find myself wondering if this is partially a reaction to the kind of ever-present criticism of Greg Berhalter that he he was hired without a ton of competition. It didn't feel like they went after multiple candidates. It felt like he was sort of the one who was always going to get the gig, and then he got the gig when his brother was, was the CEO of U.S. Soccer. So there were the allegations of nepotism and just sort of like not doing their due diligence, not looking at every possibility. And I do wonder if now that they have this opportunity, they are trying to kind of make sure they tick all the boxes, or at least are presumed to have ticked all the boxes before they go about actually appointing a manager. That's my, my one little bit of conspiratorial brain coming to roost.
2: No, I, th- I think there could be part of that at play here. I I don't think that there's any real motivation here. I don't think there's any action from U.S. soccer to force Ernie Stewart or Brian McBride out. Uh, I, I think given the timeline sure. that at yeah. least we've been made aware of, Brian McBride had sort of decided before the World Cup and U.S. soccer asked him to stay on for a little bit longer just to help with the transition into a new era. Ernie Stewart then gets this opportunity. And, and I think there have been reports that he's had other opportunities in the past. Yep. And Sidney Parlocone, president of U.S. Soccer, said as much on, on this conference call. You know, he he gets this opportunity with PSV. It's a big club. And I, I think, you know, it's nice to do something different in life sometimes. I can understand him wanting to take a different job. It, it just sort of turns out that there is now this empty house on the men's side of U.S. Soccer. So uh, U.S. Soccer House, by the way, that U.S. Soccer moved out of in Chicago, (laughs) is now up for sale. So uh, I don't know if TSS wants to buy that, Taylor, or how we can make that happen, but there there are empty rooms no matter where U.S. Soccer is located at this point. (laughs) I think, like I said earlier, this is a huge opportunity. It's a huge opportunity for U.S. Soccer to get stuff right, to figure out, hey, do we really need a GM? Uh, It gets confusing here. It gets muddled even for us as we're on these calls and trying to read and, and figure out what's happening. Was that GM role redundant with the sporting director role that Sportsology is trying to help U.S. soccer fill? Are they just going to hire the sporting director, skip the GM, and go down to the men's national team coach after that? There's a lot of just nitty-gritty, maybe even political stuff here that's going on that that we're going to learn more about over the coming months. But, yeah, huge opportunity. Yeah. And overall, Taylor, my biggest takeaway, this is a big win for Anthony Hudson. Interim head coach Anthony <laughs> Hudson falling upwards. Yep. He seems like a nice guy, by the way. Spending some time with him in in, in training this week, I know he's he's got a little bit of a mixed slash bad track record in the United States after coaching Colorado and leaving some fiery quotes, but seems like a, a good guy and a good dude. He has certainly fallen upward since uh, since getting fired by Chicago by uh, Colorado, excuse me. Yeah, that he has, because we would expect him to be in charge. Based on that
1: timeline for maybe the Nations League and the Gold Cup as well, we'll have to keep an eye on that. Uh, The only other uh, couple little details I thought were worth noting, uh, they were asked if the investigation into Greg Berhalter played a role in either of the GM's leaving. They said no impact whatsoever. They did, as you said, confirm that uh, Brian McBride was expected to leave. He announced that, I think, during the World Cup. They extended him until January just to have a little bit of consistency. It does sound like the Ernie Stewart uh, departure was less expected but they also at the same time understood that he was an in-demand uh, person. And the last thing uh, multiple people have tweeted about, uh, Sam Staschko amongst them, is that Greg Berhalter remains a candidate for the coaching vacancy. Um that was really the extent of the answer on that one. Some people taking that like the curtness of that one to imply that like the U.S. Soccer was moving on with both GMs departing, Berhalter not renewed as of yet, that uh, he was out the door. That well could be the case. My read on that was basically just that the investigation into Greg Berhalter, into uh, all the things we've talked about previously, is ongoing, and so I think that's probably what they were legally able to say sure. without getting themselves into any sort of hot water. So, Berhalter, still a candidate. Uh, we will have to wait and see what happens there until we see what happens with the men's GM. Uh, but it's going to be an interesting summer, not just because of that, but because of all the many games we get to play, Joe Lowry.
2: Yeah, there's a lot coming up for the U.S. men's national team. Anthony Hudson's going to have a lot to do. The only thing I'll add to that, Taylor, is I'd be surprised if Berhalter was back at this point. Wouldn't you? I, really? I, I can understand U.S. Soccer still saying he's a candidate, but... The folks that, that worked with him most closely, the, the person who hired him, basically, and Ernie Stewart, is now gone. I don't really see what the ties are. And somebody pointed this out on Twitter, and I, I don't remember who it is, and I apologize mm-hmm. for that. But given what we know about Berhalter and how much he, he genuinely does love the game and love being around the game and has a hard time being away from it, it, it I have a hard time believing that he's going to sit around and wait for U.S. soccer to get one, at, at least one, if not two, positions above him in place before, you know, sorting out what they're going to do with him. If there's an open job in Europe that he wants, I I think he's going to take it. So be, between changes in U.S. soccer leadership and just the timing of all this and what we know about Greg Berhalter's personality and how he approaches the game, I would I would be very, very surprised at this point. Not from anything I know, but from just what I, I can sort of deduce, I'd be very surprised if Berhalter was back.
1: That's really interesting because... I, I think you're right, honestly. I Like, I hadn't really thought too deeply on it. It just felt like, yeah, they're going to renew him. And I think, that, as I said previously, I think they would have before the story comes out. But part of the reason why you renew him after this World Cup, is to have that consistency in place so that you can start that next sort of round of who are going to be the players coming through, who who do we want to get more looks at, who can we bring into either of those competitions this summer to see if they have an impact. But if you don't have him there for those two and for January camp, there is that argument of, like, then the c- consistency is sort of gone. And now you are having to kind of reestablish yourself a little bit. So I think as we monitor the situation, if he still has no... Uh, gig by maybe June. That will tell me that he is hanging out to see if that if that gig opens up. But if. Uh, we we see him start getting linked to other jobs uh, much more soon than that. Then maybe we do have a new coach coming in, which will be fascinating to watch. I doubt it will be Anthony Hudson, which is my way of transitioning us <laughs> to talk about that game last night. Uh, we had the USA losing 2-1 to Serbia. They go up 1-0, which was exciting, and then they did not hold on to that lead. They do have another friendly against Colombia, a very much Colombia B-C team. This Serbia team w- was the same and kind of was the same for the United States as well. Joe, you have been uh, there in California going to camps. I-, I have never, or going to, like, training and stuff. I've only done that, like, once, I think. Mm. What, what was that experience like for you? How much did you actually get to see?
2: Yeah, so you see nothing of training, just, okay. just to get that out there. You see you stretching, and then you see the back of, of Michael Cameron, U.S. soccer, U.S. men's national team press officer, as he's ushering you out uh, you of go. the field area. So, you know, it, it's a good chance to sort of see who's there, at least, and so you get a feel. This was a very, not not rushed, but... A very quick camp, at least leading up to this first game. Players still coming in. I think the the last player, everybody arrived like the day before the game, or maybe maybe it was Monday. But players were still coming in very, very late. They're coming in from a whole bunch of different places. So there's a lot of that logistical stuff that's going on. So you get to see, you know, who's around and, and who's at least on the field training with the group. But beyond that, you don't get to see much. The other the other value of being there in person is you get to do press conferences. And so I had a chance to, to ask Anthony Hudson some questions and and to get a look at, at Alejandro Zendejas, who was a big story for not just the United States, but really for Mexico and Mexican fans and Mexican media coming into this game. Uh, Gaga Slonina I to check in with him and how things are going for him at Chelsea. So those are some of the other value points of being there in person. But as far as the training side goes, yeah. Especially for a camp like this, there is not much you're going to get to see.
1: Did you like? Who are the players that they were sort of bringing out, presenting to the media, letting letting answer some of those uh, press conference questions? Who are the kind of main figurehead leaders of this team? Do you think?
2: So leaders are, are maybe ones, and I I missed training on on Saturday and Sunday, so maybe there were different folks involved there. But Walker Zimmerman is still very much like the leader of this team in my view. Anthony Hudson referenced the the leadership council or group. Uh, in his press conference on Tuesday, so that was the day before the game against Serbia. So, in his mind, I think there is still a lot that has carried over from how Greg Berhalter structured the atmosphere around the team and in the locker room. So, Aaron Long is in this camp, Kellen Acosta is in this camp, uh, there, Paul Areola is in this camp. There are players along with Zimmerman that have been in the team for a while, and all of those players, with the exception of Ariola were at the World Cup. So, those players are still very much the leaders here, and I think there's a lot of value in having them in a camp like this. I, Taylor, I loved the lineup yesterday, and we'll talk about all the caveats that go into this game and and all the different grains of salt that we need to take, but I I love that we saw a lot of young players, but I also love that we had a few bits of experience in that lineup as well, that you had some older players, and you had Walker Zimmerman anchoring that back line as really the voice of the team in the first half. I thought... The roster was great from U.S. Soccer, from Anthony Hudson, from whoever picked it. And I I really enjoyed seeing the mix of players that were in camp. I thought it was a smart balance. Let's
1: take a quick break. Let's get back to talking about the game itself, as well as a little bit about the lead up to the game uh, in just a moment.
0: Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Michelob Ultra Courtside
1: is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Welcome back. Uh, I do want to talk about the USA's game against Serbia. My final sort of uh, setting this setting the stage, setting the table question for you, Joe, is is basically what were your expectations? What did you hope to see the U.S. get out of this? Because it's it's a situation in which we have an interim manager. It's the January camp roster, which means you're not getting any of the kind of quote-unquote big-name players coming in. You're basically getting out-of-form or out-of-season players. Uh, We don't have World Cup qualifying uh, because we're hosting in 2026. So we do have the Gold Cup. We do have the Nations League. But it feels like in terms of stakes, they were pretty low. I always like seeing the U.S. win. I always want to see them win. But this one felt very much, when Serbia scored and then scored again, I was just sort of like, "Eh, oh, well. Let's let's see what happens next. Like, there wasn't a, a huge emotional response for me. I did get really hyped when Brandon Vasquez scored. Yeah. But for you, especially in person, what were you sort of hoping to evaluate? I'm assuming it was the players themselves who rose to the occasion, who looked a little bit nervous.
2: That's a lot of it, right? I, I think, to answer your question, Taylor, I want to first go through things that I, I don't think we can learn from mm-hmm. this game to then look at what we what we can actually take cool. away from. I think that'll set the stage nicely for what we're going to talk about. We can't learn... Anything in my view about tactics. <laughs> it, it is. I love tactics. I love nerding out on that stuff. I'm not going to do any of that. Literally none of it on this show because it's it's not there, there's no manager. There's no permanent manager. Anthony Hudson is almost certainly I, I hate that I can't say certainly, but I'd be shocked if Anthony Hudson got this job. It was the same sort of style and look that we've seen under Beralta a, a thousand times at this point. So there, there's no value there. He's not going to be making Anthony Hudson any decisions that reflect the stylistic intent of the program moving forward. We can't learn about that. And, and I think it is foolish to make any like hard and fast player ratings out of a game like this, out of a camp like this. You know, you go out and see Jonathan Gomez have a bad game, which I think he did, starting at left back for the U.S. That doesn't mean he's a bad player, right? There's time for him to grow. He's still young. I don't think he's ready for the national team yet. But it's foolish to write people off after games like this. So those are things that I don't think we can learn. Things we can learn... The starting lineup gives us a good idea of who impressed in training. So Jalen Neal, young, I believe, 19-year-old center back for the LA Galaxy, not a player I was particularly familiar with coming into this camp and into this window, not a player I expected to start. I thought it would be Long and Zimmerman. I loved that it wasn't. You know, we learned that Jalen Neal probably did a pretty darn good job in training. Same with Alan Senora, who started in Central Midfield, a name that I don't think a lot of folks out there will be familiar with or will have watched much. That kind of stuff we can learn. We can also learn who who just legitimately played well and looked like, you know, maybe they're worth another look, and another look, and another look. It's not that Alan Senor was so good that he should start forever for the U.S. men's national team, but he was good enough to say, yeah, I'd I'd like to get another look at that guy, and then the flip side of that is, Taylor, you know, which players just didn't look up for it. I mentioned it with with Jonathan Gomez, uh, and, and there's a few other players that we can get to later. Again, not to write them off, but just to say, okay, either that wasn't the best role for them, they had an off night, or maybe they're just not there yet. We can infer some of those things from what we saw in the field,
1: I think that's a really good way to kind of go about looking at this game, Joe. It reminds me of the Dave Sarakin era after the U.S. fails to qualify. Uh, Bruce Arena steps down. Uh, Sunu Gulati announces that he's going to step down, and so there's going to be a U.S. Soccer presidential election. So really, no decisions made on the sporting front until all that happens, which meant we got what like a year of Dave yep, Sarakin in charge. Games. Never felt like he was going to be the permanent manager, and he was not. Uh, But we also then, it felt like we couldn't really evaluate tactics and systems and styles of play. And so this is a similar situation and I think what that allows for is basically just to look at the individuals and who played a smart game, who fa- facilitated team play for sure, but ultimately who handled the occasion, who wasn't over- overwhelmed by putting on that shirt and who maybe has a little bit of ground still to cover. So with all that said, uh, Joe, I think you've, you've named a few players off the bat but I want to start with Brandon Vasquez who scores a goal and we're right there on number 9 scoring a goal, especially a well-taken sort of directional header, kind of flicked on, but knows what he's doing, puts it in the far side netting. Uh, that was a very happy moment for me as a person who has had way, way too many conversations about U.S. number nines.
2: <laughs> yeah, it was nice. It was nice to see a nine start and a nine score, especially one that that wasn't at the World Cup. I would have liked to see Brandon Vasquez at the World Cup. I think it would have been fun. I don't think it really would have made the difference for the U.S. ultimately, but I think he did a lot of great stuff on the field for FC Cincinnati last year, I talked to them after the game, his families in the in the stands. They were behind the goal, I believe, from what he was saying. So just a cool moment for him to be getting his first USMNT cap, to have his family there, and and as a dual national, like this is this is a big deal. He is a player that is con- could conceivably make an impact for both the U.S. and Mexico, and for the United States to have him start to show that faith in him from Anthony Hudson and to get him on the field and to have him make an impact is is a good thing, both for him and for the U.S. men's national team. It's a nice goal, Taylor. It's a really nice bit of movement from Brandon Vasquez. It's the 29th minute. The U.S. are in possession. It's Alan Signora to Julian Gressel, who's starting on the right. Both of those players also getting their first caps. Gressel has a ton of space to pick out a ball, which is not something you want to give to Julian Gressel, who I think is one of the best crossers on this side of the Atlantic. Gressel picks out Brandon Vasquez. His movement was good. I mentioned that just a second ago. And it really is a perfect header, as you described it, Taylor. And it's 1-0 in that moment. That's the kind of stuff that Brandon Vasquez is so good at. He found space consistently for Cincinnati in the box last year. He was doing it again. You know, we had a couple other shots in this game. He comes off, what? Matthew Oppie comes on for him. I can't remember when the minute was. I'm trying to find it in my notes. The 63rd minute. So Vasquez plays about two-thirds of this game. And for a player in preseason, Taylor, granted a lot of these players are in preseason, I thought he looked really, really good. And I'd love to see him again on Saturday. And if not on Saturday, to see him again in March. I think he's earned that much between his play for Cincinnati and his play last night. Agreed. And that's something that uh, Berhalter said ahead of the World Cup was that
1: Brandon Vasquez, maybe like the World Cup squad was a little bit too much too soon for him, but that was somebody they really wanted to see a lot more of in 2023. And I think uh, based on that performance and other performances, uh, we will see more of him. I really enjoyed Alan Signora and... Uh, Bren- uh, and uh, Uh, Zendejas, sorry, I was about to say Brandon Vasquez again, Alejandro Zendejas uh, in that, like overall, but also in that goal, I thought their movement to keep opening up little like uh, pockets of space, that's how I think Gressel is able to be so wide open to play that ball in, but also just their calmness on the ball, I felt like they kind of kept possession going, I think too often the U.S. sort of slowed down, tried to force things or tried to recycle possession, I liked that they kind of kept it in that attacking space, what did you make of Zendejas, who I don't think had a, a huge impact necessarily but I also don't think was poor by any stretch of the imagination
2: no I thought he was fine yeah. but I thought you could see how good he can be right yeah. that that's mm-hmm. sort of where I landed is he, he didn't break this game open and I think he would have liked to uh but but he was he was skillful he was good in tight spaces. Uh, a little bit more aggressive than I thought he'd be. I'm not sure how much of this you could catch on the broadcast. I rewatched the second half of of, of the match this morning, and you could see a lot of it. But he's active with his movement off the ball. So I want to back up a couple of layers here. the The starting lineup for the U.S. had Aiden Morris, young Columbus Crew central midfielder, as the number six. And so it had Morris as the six, and then Paxson Pomako and Alan Senora as the two number eights. Zendaya was on the right wing. You had Cade Cowell on the left, and Brandon Vasquez as the number nine. Zendejas, on that right wing, didn't really get many touches of the ball in the opening 10 minutes. The U.S. almost exclusively played down their left side, and he was waiting to get touches. He was making runs in behind. Part of the issue was uh, Aiden Morris doesn't look to me like a player who can open up and really hit a, a long diagonal or, or really a chipped ball in behind from the number 6 spot. He's much more of a cover ground, win the ball, hard-nosed, uh, you know, nipping at your heels kind of player. Less of a ball progressor, gonna open up the game with his passing kind of player. So Zendeas, a lot of his runs in behind weren't rewarded, but he was active. He was mobile. And this is a guy, Taylor, that that really U.S. soccer is sort of like foaming at the mouth over right now, or at least Anthony Hudson certainly seems to be. He's a good player playing for Club America, is is one of their best players right now in Liga Mekis for, you know, one of the biggest clubs on this continent. And U.S. Soccer had to work with Club America to get him released because this is a, a camp in a non-FIFA window. That's why you don't see Pulisic and Adams and McKinney and Musa, Reina, etc. You know, Zendaya didn't have to come in, right? He wanted to come in. Club America let him come in, which is which is weird because they have deep ties to the Mexican Federation. So that's, that's a very strange sort of situation. Paul and Sam, I think, speculated. I think it was, or maybe it was Sam on, on Felipe's show, Copa, who speculated, you know, Club America are seeing the transfer fees that, US soccer and USMNT players are getting it. So maybe they think, ah, oh, it's not the worst mm-hmm. thing for him to go. And maybe this just drums up more buzz around Alejandro Zendaya. And it did that, right? Even though he wasn't great, you can see how good he can be. I would love to get another look at him. We won't see him on Saturday. He's flying back to Club America. But, you know, if he wants to come in in March and, yeah. and potentially get cap tied, I think that that would be a no brainer for US soccer. Uh, agreed on that front.
1: So we're going to give thumbs up to him and thumbs up to Brandon Vasquez. A little moment I like from Zendaya. There's a moment I think in like, Inside the first maybe 25 minutes, I forget when exactly, there's a, there is a diagonal play to him. It's going out of bounds. He chases it down. He cuts it back with the outside of his foot. And there is a safe pass back to uh, Julian Gressel there. But he just has that moment, Zendejas, of kind of standing up and looking for, like, who am I about to mag, Who am I about to take on? And you can see he's looking to square up to then continue the attack and then slows it down and finds the pass and kind of keeps the attacking move alive. But just that moment of, like, let's do this. I want to see that. I want to see that individual effort, that individual individual ability to take people on 1v1 or at the very least the intent to do so I felt like I saw that from him so uh, I was pretty pretty positive overall with him even if it wasn't like you know a a two-goal thriller for him on his debut
2: and this Taylor a lot of the attributes that you're describing there this is why I'm pretty jazzed about Zendayas and and why Anthony Hudson is and why you know why U.S. soccer holds this camp in the first place right Zendayas is the perfect example of there's a bunch of dual nationals in this camp. Jonathan Gonzalez, Brendan Vasquez, uh, Jonathan Gomez, excuse me. That, Jonathan Gonzalez, that ship has sailed. Jonathan Gomez, <laughs> uh, Brendan Vasquez, Zendejas, Kate Cowell. Those are all dual nationals that could play for Mexico. Having a camp that lets guys just come in and hang out, get to know each other, reestablish connections that were forged at the U.S. US youth national team levels. Zendejas has, has played with a bunch of USMNTers, you know, on the, I believe, the U.S. u 17s way back when, six, seven years ago you know, having this camp helps build a culture and and continue to build a culture. That's part one. Mm -hmm. Part two is, you know, we get to see players in positions of need for the U.S. And and winger is a deep spot for the U.S. because you have Polišic, you have Reyna, you have Aronson, you have Weah. But at the same time, between injuries and between players of different profiles, you know, you don't have a lot of wingers that you feel great about combining and working and creating in the final third. Polišic, you know, theoretically can do that stuff. Gio Reyna absolutely can do that stuff. Tim Weah can, but I wouldn't say is great at it. He doesn't love to dribble 1v1. And Brendan Aronson's like, you know, lightning in a bottle that that sort of you can't count on to do anything predictable. And so that's that's a dangerous player to have to rely on to create in the final third. Zendayas could be like like the third option in terms of a, a player out wide who likes to come into the half space behind Pulisic and Reyna, who, who you can really count on to give you something. And we didn't really see it last night. So again, this is not set in stone, but the potential is there for a player like Zendayas to add real value to the u.s winger depth chart and i think that's another reason why january camp and really all the camps between now and 26 are going to be so important so with that in mind, especially the winger depth in mind, uh,
1: let's keep talking about the, the front three for a moment. We've talked about Vasquez. We've talked about Zendejas. Let's talk Cade Cowell. The consensus I have seen seems to be good but still rough, still a rough product, but you can see the energy he brings. I really liked this performance from Cade Cowell. I agree. There were some rough moments, and I think that really does— uh, show the the youth of this team. I, re- I think it also, as you've uh, said earlier, Joe, it shows how little time this team has had together, only a few days uh, together in camp before they played this game. And I think some of that rawness showed with a few passes out of bounds uh, across the team, just a few overhit balls, a few underhit passes, a lack of movement, sometimes a lack of communication. But even with all that in place, and I, and I say that for the entire team, not just for Cade Cowell, I thought he did... A lot on both sides of the ball. I think he, he was the winger who I saw getting into defensive positions more frequently and more readily. But then also springing into the attack, can handle the physicality. Multiple people pointing out that he looks like an 80s movie villain or like high school bully. He does just that because he is really young. Uh, so I don't think he is, you know, now anywhere near the, the starting wing spot. I think he's a few spots back, but I thought like this was positive enough overall from
2: him. Totally agree. A positive first step in twenty twenty three, which is a big year for Kate Cowell, right? New manager in San Jose and Lucci Gonzalez, who who knows him already from you know both of them being around the U.S. setup and and from Lucci being in Dallas and, and coaching. I would imagine against Kate Cowell, I think they would have overlapped before Lucci loses that job in in Dallas. But I mean, this is big. So he's a chance to bet in and and really get consistent playing time with San Jose, which wasn't there so much for him last year. And then the U twenty World Cup coming up in May in Indonesia. Kid Cowell is a big part of that team or or could be a big part of that team. U-20 head coach Mikey Varas was in and, and still is in camp with the U.S., which makes no sense to me given that his U-20 team is also in camp right now across the country and, and why Mikey Varas is not with them a few months before the U-20 World Cup doesn't really make sense. But, you know, Kate Cowell had a good start to his year ahead of maybe a European move, which could be in the cards or on, on the cards in the summer after the U-20 World Cup, ahead of the MLS season starting and ahead of that U-20 World Cup a good start for Kate Cowell. I wanna I wanna see a game, Taylor, where you know, you know, in training, I assume this happened to you. It happened to me in my like limited soccer playing experience. You know, you do a session and, and you can only do two touches, right, in whatever the, the exercise yeah. is. You max two touches for everybody. I kinda of wanna see Kate Cowell play like three games in a row where he cannot take a long touch, like that Mbappe touch. Because he has a moment in this game that is so good. It's the 63rd minute, I believe. It's a drive down the left side, and it's a cross into the box. The cross isn't bad. I think Zendias crashes on the weak side, and it almost gets ahead to it, despite being relatively short. But Cowell just taps the ball up the left side and dusts a guy. And it's great that he can do that, but I want to see more of the quick touches, Mm -hmm. good combination play, turning out of tight spots, and then accelerating. I think he had a good mixture of that in this game. I just want to see it like 12 more times this season with the U.S. or with the U-20s or with San Jose, ideally across all of those things. Like you said, Cal is still a number of spots down the left winger depth chart, but a good start to him this year, and I'm excited to see what comes next. Like For you
1: personally, Joe, like what would you like to see from him in terms of what comes next? Would you like to see him play the entire season in MLS? Would you like to see him make that move to Europe maybe after that U-20 World Cup? Because he does feel like a player who needs that next evolution in his game, needs to get a little bit tidier on the ball, needs to take maybe a few more tighter touches, just needs to overall overall improve and develop. Uh, And I wonder if he can do that in MLS or if it is time for him to look elsewhere.
2: I, I would like him to stay in MLS, certainly through the summer. I don't I don't think mm-hmm. there's only a few days left in this January window. It doesn't seem like that's happening. There's been reported interest from France point. and maybe from a couple of other countries. But I, I really like the fit for him in San Jose with Luigi Gonzalez being in there. Now he's he's maybe not even a starting winger for them right now, but there's so many games in MLS this year, Taylor. There's like there's too many games between the number <laughs> of teams, the number of regular yeah. season games, Open Cup, Leagues Cup, all that stuff. I mean, he's going to get minutes, and I think Lucci could be the perfect manager to come and really coach him up. So I wouldn't be opposed to seeing him play a full season of Major League Soccer and maybe find a move next winter or even the the summer after that, so like 18 months from now. But really, I kind of want to table my full answer to that question until after the U-20 World Cup and maybe after we've seen him play two, three months of, of MLS action, then we can get a better feel for really how much he's improved, if at all fine be rational uh let's take
1: one more break and then we'll come back to talk about the midfield about the defense we'll answer some listener questions and then we will call it a day back soon looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 u.s based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard it right you can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode
0: is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of
1: the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to com slash Courtside to learn more. Welcome back. All right, Joe Lowry. We had a midfield three. Uh, we had Alan Signora. We had Paxton Pomichol. We had Aiden Morris. Uh, if you were ranking them in terms of most impressive to least impressive basically on last night, how, how are you uh, How are you ranking?
2: Oh, I love that, Taylor. I love that so much. Uh, Signora is my top. I thought he was genuinely very good, and I would love to see more of him, more on him in a second. I would have Pomichol number two, and Aiden Morris, number three. But it's it's pretty tight between those two. So I'll start with the negative here and then end on, on Senor because I thought he was fun. Aiden Morris, to me, just doesn't look like, and I, I kind of mentioned this earlier, doesn't look like a guy you can play through. The U.S. struggled to build at the beginning of this match for the first 10, 15 minutes. With what do you as, mean when yeah. you say play through for people who are, who are yeah, new question. or unfamiliar with that term? Because, uh, yeah, I, I know what you mean, but for a moment it sounds like, wait, why would the U.S. be trying to like, play through him? Why would they attack sure. their own player? Just because he's uh, the the number six to have him be the guy who gets the ball off the center backs and then to progress it and have Mm -hmm. him be the one getting the highest volume of touches, it didn't really feel like that's his best spot. Now, Tyler Adams has some of those same problems, to be honest. But Adams moves the ball a little bit quicker and has (laughs) uh, just more burst, I guess, when he has the ball at his feet and has better passing range Mm -hmm. and vision, it seems to me right now. So just Morris needs time to, to, to develop. I think he's 21, first cap has been injured a lot, so I think this year could be big for him under Wilfred Nancey, but I just don't see it yet with him as a, as a complete player. Pomichol Taylor, and I want to get your thoughts on Pomichol. I thought he was relatively anonymous yeah. as that left side of number 8. It kind of seems to me like all the injuries that have kept him out of a bunch of action for Dallas have taken a toll on him at this point, and I, I'm just not... I, I'm optimistic, I guess, I'm hopeful, given that it's preseason and there's a lot of time for him to, to really bet in and get back to full strength this year, but... It it didn't seem like a great start to this year for Pomacol to me. No,
1: I would agree with that. Uh, And and it does feel like he's a player who needs that full season – without injuries to kind of allow him to get back some of that form, some of that confidence uh, and just become that regular starter who can be creative on the ball, but can also do the hard work off the ball worth noting. Like one of my only notes about Paxton Pomichal is that he's the one who uh, concedes the free kick. He puts in that foul that leads to to the goal. So uh, to the uh, equalizer, excuse me. So, uh, like, I, I think that showed a little bit of, of the sloppiness and a little bit of maybe the makeshift aspect of this midfield. But I'm with you that I think ov- uh, overall, I think he didn't stand out in a, in a positive way. I wouldn't say he was bad, but he was certainly a player that I kept being like, oh, right, Paxton Pomichal calls in there. That's exciting. Um I probably would have had him behind Aiden Morris, just because, maybe because Aiden Morris is on the ball more, maybe because I saw him trying to step out of midfield and, and trying to rotate a little bit just to see if that could throw off Serbia a bit. I just felt like Paxton Pomakal had the more anonymous of those two performances, so I'm, I'm with you. I would like to see him uh, stay a bit more consistent in terms of those injuries. We did have a question about sort of basically what has happened to him. Is he being unfairly criticized? That came from Mitch Curtis. Uh, I feel like there is a lot of over harsh criticism of Pomacall's game. It seemed to me that he played a mostly safe game, but not uh, bad at all by my viewing. I would say that's probably it, but I think with this team, with him being maybe not more of a veteran, but like more of a known quantity, I think you look to him to be a player who can be consistent, can be a stronger performer, and I don't think we saw that last night. Uh, Joe, any agreement or disagreement on that one?
2: No, I agree. I I think if you play a safe game in January camp, like I'm not sure that's good enough, right? Yeah. I think you need to show something. And Pax and is good enough to show something, but we just didn't see it yesterday. Pretty much all the the things I have down for him in my notes are are negative things, like 36 minute gets muscled off the ball, trying to turn in midfield, maybe doesn't see the guy on his blind side. Maybe that's not fully his fault. You mentioned the foul leading up to the free kick. It just it just didn't click for Pomacle yesterday. Tell me what you think about this, Taylor. I would I honestly I think the US would have played better last night if Pomucle was at the six and Aiden Morris was at the eight. Pomichol seems to have like this more up-tempo style to him, and I think he's not good enough on the ball as a playmaker, really, to to have him in the eight spots. I think he could do a little bit more shuffling side to side and screening and and bursting forward from the six spot in moments. I don't know. Do you you think he's worth a look there at some point? I think, I think so, both because I think
1: it suits Pomacol, but also because it seems to suit Morris. Uh, it, we saw him in the 24th minute, I think. He wins the ball off a Serbian player who thought he was fouled, but no foul given. And they launched that counterattack. Uh, Morris ends up shooting from like 20-25 out. And it's a good enough save. It's, it's, it's saved, but it's like going kind of top corner. Uh, I think it's from distance with not a, enough power behind it. But I think that shows that he can carry that ball forward, that he can be a bit more attacking on the individual front. I do think that he could have laid that ball off to Zendejas, who is making a good run. Vasquez also makes a really good run to open up some space for Morris, and I think to open up space for Zendejas, so maybe there's some questionable decision-making there, but I think, yeah, that that one alone showed me that I think he could be a number 8 if need be, and maybe that would get more out of Call. At the very least, I think he would be maybe tidier on the ball and more willing to try to turn and play that ball forward. Uh, but we... I think have saved best for
2: last. We saved yeah. the dessert, which would be Alan Senora. Uh, have at it, Joe. I think he was a player Taylor that impressed me the most last night. To be honest, seeing him up close and in, in person—I well, mean, as close as the press box is to the stadium, I guess—but seeing him up closer than I than I would otherwise, he he was the player when the U.S. struggled to get into the game at the beginning. He was a player who sort of tried to take over a little bit. He was the one that really started rotating in, and, and I think Doyle called it freelancing, right? Coming back to the number six spot and, and trying to progress the ball. And to actually get the U.S. playing at a somewhat quicker tempo, I I just like his game. He played faster than everyone else. He was playing forward a lot, left-footed, really energetic, mobile, buzzing around the field. Had some good forward passes in this game. Looks comfortable on the ball in tight spots. Not perfect. I think he was a little loose on the ball in the second half. Had a couple of turnovers. Anthony Hudson said after the match that he really wasn't 90-minute. 90 minutes fit. There's a reason why he comes off in the 57th minute for Eric Williamson. He's just not really ready to go yet because he's without a club. He was with Independiente in Argentina, was given their number 10 shirt, was was regarded very well in Argentina from what I understand, and now is sort of hopping around the United States, I think looking for a club team, or or I guess the US and Canada, I should say, was in Montreal. Doesn't seem like that's going to happen at this point. LAFC need a few central midfielders. He was literally there last night. I, I think there could be something there. I don't know what's going to happen for sure, but I, Taylor, I really like this guy. I, I'm trying, this is when I have to tell myself, chillax, it's January <laughs> camp, this doesn't matter. Listen to what you said like hey. 20 minutes ago, but I, I would love to see more of him at the very least, and I, I think we're going to for the U.S. If you want to be positive, be positive, my friend. Hey, I got no problem with that.
1: Uh, I think we might do a little bit less positivity when it comes to the back line. Uh, Julian Gressel, I thought, had a fine, uh, a fine game, especially with that assist. Uh, I thought he did... Some good attacking play, had some good attacking play, uh, but I think I was listening to In Soccer We Trust, and Jimmy Conrad was pointing out that it felt like the fullbacks getting so high so readily meant that the wingers didn't have a ton of space to operate themselves, so they moved central, but then the two number 8s were also pretty high, and it felt sort of crowded. Because we didn't have the rotations there, I think things kind of got bogged down a little bit. But I wouldn't put that on Gressel necessarily. I would say it it felt to me like Jonathan Gomez was a player who I was really excited to see play for the U.S. and felt like a player who maybe needs some more reps before we see him again.
2: Agreed. Yeah, he just didn't look fully up for it last night. And he's not playing for Real Sociedad. I'm not sure if he's playing for their reserve team or not. It is maybe not the best sign that Sociedad said, hey, yeah, you can fly across the Atlantic <laughs> right? and, and go to L.A. in the middle of our season. That's not a problem at all. So yeah, I, I don't think the trajectory is pointing upwards for for Jogo right now. I thought he was sloppy. I don't think he looks strong enough really out there. He doesn't have the athleticism or the speed, Taylor, in my view. And this is not just about this game. This this tracks with other other, other footage I've seen from him in the past. He doesn't have the speed to be a Jedi Robinson deputy, right? He's not going to play left back the same way and overlap all the time and run up and down. He's almost a better fit for like the the Poundland version of Jao Cancelo. <laughs> like like going to come inside, going to yeah. play a little bit in midfield, going to be in the half spaces. But I, I'm just not sure that like the U.S. really needs that right now. Like like they might take Jao They would take Jao Cancelo, but they, they probably won't take the dollar store version of him right now. So just more seasoning that needs to be done there. Maybe we see him you know, at other youth competitions as we get closer to, to the Olympics and all that stuff. There's plenty of time, but it, it's just not all there right now with, with Jogo. And then Gressel, one beat on him. Love the assist. Great cross. Mentioned that earlier. I, I thought he was fine with the ball and, and really good in that moment. Didn't like dazzle me in the attack, but I thought he was he was pretty good. Defensively, I didn't really like what I saw. Yep. He was beaten 1v1 and put on skates a couple of times, at least once, I think multiple times. And There's a moment where Serbia had some really good combinations in the box and in the final third, and some of that was coming together because the U.S. backline just didn't look like they'd ever played a game before. Shocker, they hadn't. But Gressel kind of turned off in in one or two moments and was slow to react, and so defending has never really fully been his strong suit, but I hope we see a little bit better from him going forward on that side of the ball because I think he can help the team. I think he could really be a, a good utility player for the U.S. ahead of 26, but I don't know, just just notes to file back in the, in, the, in the back of our heads about some of these these little intricacies. Uh, I, you mentioned Jalen Neal earlier. I don't have a ton on him.
1: I do have some thoughts on Walker Zimmerman, a player that we would expect to be a reliable performer for this team and get the basics right, a player that we would expect will continue to be with the senior team, with the A-team, but did have a pretty <laughs> sizable <laughs> yeah. error in this game. That Serbia free kick I mentioned previously, conceded by Paxton Pomacall, but I'm putting... Most of the blame for this one going in on Walker Zimmerman, who's in the wall, who steps out, who jumps, and I don't love when the wall jumps. They did have the player laying down behind the wall, so I guess it can be forgiven there, but he jumps out, so he breaks the kind of continuity of the wall and spreads his legs apart and basically gets megged uh, by that shot that then goes in. But that it's not a well-taken t- free kick. I thought for a moment it was this, like, worldly that goes up and goes down. Nope, it goes right through the wall. If they had held their position, it would have been blocked and nothing would have happened. So moments like that are, like, not unforgivable, but it, it's just a thing that when, when you have the captain, the veteran, the World Cup veteran at that, in there, you don't expect those types of mistakes. You expect him to be the one who's sort of picking up the rookie who made that error was not my favorite thing to see Zimmerman uh, have that moment.
2: No, I just texted you, Taylor. James Nalton posted a tweet yesterday uh, and with the caption of, how does your wall, in air quotes, end up yeah. like this? And I texted it to you. It is... It's, it's tough. So it's Gressel on the right. It's Zimmerman to his left oh, wow. and Aiden Morris and Kate Cowell. And they're like in 18,000 different places at the same time. It's it's comical, to be honest. This would be the kind of thing that we probably spent 10 minutes talking about in a meaningful game. Thankfully, it's January camp and we can just say, ah, January camp doesn't matter. You do expect a bit more from Zimmerman there. I, I maybe give too much credence to the fact that this group just hasn't played together before. You think a group of professionals would would know what to do in that situation? Like yeah. you would really think so? I just—I'm not going to get bent out of shape about it, despite the ball getting bent out of shape very easily. I—I I just don't think Taylor, and the same goes for Aaron Long. Like we're just not going to learn anything about Zimmerman or Long from these games. No, like nothing—nothing nothing that happens in this game is really going to change their spot with the program or I mean agree with that or not but it was it was a comical moment with that wall Taylor and that that screenshot folks go look at that tweet because it is it's awful it's really really bad who was it again who tweeted it James Knowlton tweeted it. thank you for
1: that um yeah it's really bad and you're right like we shouldn't draw any major conclusions but I will say Zimmerman has the captain's armband on and that there are four people in that wall two of them are jumping a good couple (laughs) feet ahead of the other two who have stayed on the ground tells you at the very least when you're standing in that wall the person who is organizing it or is the leader there should be saying no jump or jump. And that didn't even happen. So that, that is a worrying lack of communication. Um, and it could have been worse for the United States were it not for Gabriel Slonina. That is a player who I have big, big, big thumbs up for. I thought he had uh, a pretty strong game. Two goals conceded, I would say the free kick, definitely not his fault. But it could have been worse. I think one of the moments you were talking about with Gresso getting put on skates, getting beaten pretty easily, is the one where Serbia just kind of beat the U.S.'s high line, uh, come in, and Slonina makes the save. Then has the ridiculous moment where he's on the ground and kind of palms it out while also getting a knee to the head. Uh, that alone made me very
2: excited for the Gabriel Slonina era to begin for the U.S. Yeah, he was, I think, really good with the shot stopping in this game. Had a couple of nice passes, a couple of shaky ones too. But, I mean, that that second save in the double save in the 31st minute that you referenced there, Taylor, yeah. is unreal. Like, like that is a, in a phenomenal moment to have the strength in your wrist and in your hand to reach back, not over the goal line, but to stop the ball from hitting the goal line and to sort of chuck it out at the same time while you're falling backwards or laying on the ground or whatever it was. That is a a fantastic bit of goalkeeping. You can see why Chelsea paid, what, $10 million for him or whatever it was. I mean, this kid has a ton of talent. There's still a lot of room for him to grow, but he was really good. I think he was really, really good last night. I'm excited to see what comes up for him with with Chelsea. Maybe there's a loan over the next few days or maybe he sticks it out there and just trains for the rest of the year, maybe gets a game or two in a cup competition. But I I really liked what I saw from Gagas Lenina. He's also one of those guys who he's 18, he does not look 18 to no. me. He looks
1: like 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 early mid 20s sort of, which isn't a huge difference, but just when when you think 18 year old goalkeeper, you think really skinny, lanky like, not really having any facial hair. Slonina doesn't have a ton of facial hair, but did not look as young as I was expecting him to look playing for the U.S. So, like, not that that matters, but, you know, when we're breaking it down to individual performances and little moments, I, I did like that he just he looked like a, a sturdier, reliable goalkeeper back there, even as an 18-year-old. Uh, when, when you got to talk to him about how things are at Chelsea, by the way, how are things at Chelsea?
2: They're good. So I don't think he spent a ton of time there, maybe just a few weeks before coming back for this camp but i mean he's he's getting bedded in sounds like he's he's chatted a bit with christian pulisic and is sort of getting acclimated to the area to the city to his apartment to living alone all that stuff till you mentioned him looking older than he is like he all of the scouting report on slanita in terms of like his personality and uh a little bit of a plug we'll have a feature on gaga slanita up mm. at com next week so keep your eyes out for that one he, he is like he is like uh how do I describe this? He is like so buttoned up and put together. Like unbelievably professional. And I'm sure he, he'll he loosen up a little bit in conversation and around friends and all that stuff. But like he looks like a consummate pro. He looks like he's 35 ah. when you chat with He sounds like he's 35. Sean Johnson is was another goalkeeper in this camp. Looks like he's going to Toronto FC. I, I was saying to Michele Giannone, works for 2DNA. Uh, that, that he sounds like he has the deepest voice, Sean Johnson of all time. Like his voice sounds like he could be the perfect bass singer for any barbershop quartet with an open seat. Gagas Lanina's voice, also very deep. He is 18 years old. Just like, I don't know, all of it, it's, it's hard to believe he's a teenager between how much he's accomplished and sort of just his personality and even how people talk about him. So yeah, lots of good things to come, it, it looks like at least for Gagas Lanina. Uh, unrelated to that, Joe, you've watched Ted Lasso, right? Yes, not all of it, but most of it. Uh, Michele and Denny
1: Rojas, yep. very similar energy. I
2: would also say. also similar energy, hundred percent. Also in terms of looks, McKelle and uh, I believe Diego Luna, who plays Andor in uh uh-huh. in in the show, that's dropped. They they're like stunt doubles. I swear they look yeah. exactly the same. So yeah, McKelle's got a, a few lookalikes and and actalikes around the soccer and, and celebrity world. Jim Gaffigan has the that bit about like seeing.
1: A person who is so attractive that he just thinks like God didn't even try on me, and like, and like, and like that's that's McKelly. McKellie has so much raw talent. It's a little bit it's a little bit frustrating about like oh man, all right, I, I got to step my game up a, a bit more. And especially when I sh- he played
2: at that scuffed pickup game and he can ball as oh, yeah. well. So yeah, I asked he, he Taylor. Did. I asked him earlier this week because we were talking about just soccer and playing soccer. It's like, oh uh-huh. McKelly, like you know, did you play? How long did you play? And were you good? And usually people are like, oh, I'm okay, or like I'm I'm fine. And McKelly's like. Yeah, I'm good. I'm like, all right. (laughs) I believe you. So, no, it's it's humble as
1: well. Humble as well. Uh, A a few questions. Uh, The first comes from at three slow three Gonzalez. I'm a Revs fan who fell asleep too early to watch uh, over here. What did y'all think of uh, Dewan Jones' performance, and where do you think he stands in the left back depth chart ahead of this cycle?
2: Yeah, I don't blame you, first of all, three slow, three Gonzalez for sleeping, because that game was stupid late for folks on the East Coast. I thought he was actually really good. And again, he, he wasn't starting in this game, so there's even a smaller sample size with all the other players. But I really liked him at right back in this game. I, I kind of thought he did a little bit more than Gressel in this match. So good signs for Dwan Jones. As far as where he fits in the left-back depth chart... I'm not sure that he does. I think Bruce Arena's choice to play him on the left, despite the fact that he's right-footed, mm-hmm. is kind of just a Bruce Arena, we need a left-back thing. And it's worked out really well for the Revs. But with the national team and given the makeup of this camp, it very much feels like he is a right-back, at least in Anthony Hudson's eyes. So just something to keep our eyes on going forward. Mm-hmm. It seems like there's a number of different players that are vying for some fullback time. And Dwan Jones, I thought, had a good step in that direction last night. I-, I agreed. He has one moment where he gets caught in possession
1: in the 76 that I think I'm willing to chalk up to, again, just that lack of connectivity between the team. He just doesn't kind of step to meet it, uh, is surveying his options, and a a Serbian player just nicks in and takes the ball off of him. That moment aside, he strikes me as a player who in maybe the Gold Cup, maybe the Nations League, we will see as a, if the U.S. are chasing a game or need a goal, they're going to bring him in to be that attacking fullback because he can get forward and he can get on the Anderson balls that seem like he will not be able to get to them. So, uh, yeah, I thought he did good enough to to see uh, continued selection. Joe, uh, a player we didn't get a question about, but I will ask you about because I know you stand him. Uh, Let's talk Eric Williamson for a moment, who comes in as a sub, uh, has a really nice sliding tackle in the 79th minute, I believe it was. I don't think had a huge impact on the game, obviously isn't able to turn things around. But
2: still, we got to see Eric Williamson. I'm guessing that made you happy. It did make me happy. I wanted to see more out of him. Uh, The U.S. just, in general, looked a little disjointed. They were still getting shots, and I think we're probably the better team Last night, to be honest, not that any of that really matters. But I wanted to see more. I don't have a ton of notes on him. Taylor, he was rotating wide a little bit to let Zendayas come inside. He was dropping deep at times. I just think he's a good player. I hope we see him maybe get 90 minutes on Saturday or at least just put in some strong performances with Portland to be back in consideration for March. If that is a little bit more of a domestic heavy Window, Even though it's an official FIFA one, so European players could come in, or maybe in the Gold Cup. There's enough competitions to be trying different players out, and from what I've seen, maybe not last night, but just in general about Eric Williamson, he's good enough to warrant a more extended tryout. Uh, another question from Ian McElroy. Does this cap
1: commit any dual Nats like Zendejas or Gomez to play for the Baby Eagles? I didn't think so, but just curious. As far as I know, Joe, it does not. It's a friendly. Uh, both of them were already eligible, eligible to play for the United States, so no one-time switches, no cap tying happening in these games.
2: Yep, nothing nothing really new to report on that front at the moment things start to get a little more fun and real and spicy in March when there's official Viva competitions. But for this, now nah, players just coming in to get a feel for it and, and to have a good time. Yep. Yep. Uh,
1: At Bjornorama, like that one. uh, I was concerned with the number of times we were second to the ball in the back and the number of just mistakes in the back. uh, Is that A, just unfamiliarity with teammates? B, nerves? C, not soccering hard enough? D, other? (laughs) I would say if I'm answering this one, I'm going to guess – I'm going to go with A and B. I think it's a lack of familiarity. So – not just with the teammates, but with the system, with how to kind of play off of each other, how to make runs, where to make runs, when to make those runs, and then I think it is also for some of these guys. They're playing for the U.S. national team. They know they're on, you know, uh, TV. They know that everyone's going to be watching. They know there's going to be pressure, and they know this is an opportunity to stake that claim for the next level uh, the same Jimmy Comrade podcast uh, he was getting raked over the coals for talking about scoring goals against college teams while playing for the U.S. national team <laughs> but his point was basically that if you sometimes the U.S. will schedule friendlies against college opposition or they'll just have sort of unofficial friendlies I believe that's how Jordan Morris was first discovered while playing for Stanford or how the uh, Jürgen Klinsmann first discovered Jordan Morris that is um, and basically Jimmy was saying if you don't Play better there. If you don't beat that team, if you don't destroy that team it's sort of a statement of maybe you're not ready for that that next jump and i think all of these guys being aware that this is an opportunity for them to justify continued looks continued selection that is always going to be a thing on your mind that anytime you're thinking oh this pass better be good enough oh this shot better be good enough it's just it's taking away that focus a little bit it's making it i think harder to play a cohesive consistent game so i think a lot of it was nerves a little bit of it was Unfamiliarity, a little bit of it was probably lack of fitness for some of these yep, guys. So again, not putting a ton of anxiety into this one because I think there are plenty of reasons for why this game wasn't exceptional.
2: No, yeah, Bjorn Bjorn Arama. That's is yep. that what it, did I say it right, Taylor? I, I love so. that. I I know you nailed it. I, I did nail it first try. Yeah, don't don't get anxious or, or sweat any of this stuff. Jalen Neal's. I, I don't think he's ever played an MLS minute. I think he's mostly played in, in the USL when it, at youth level. So. He's a player just sort of getting his very first taste of this stuff. Jogo doesn't play professional soccer at at, at a top-tier level and only has one cap, and that was in this version of all of this last year, right? Or basically in in 2021 against Bosnia and Herzegovina. So, yeah, the players either maybe aren't at the level yet or, yeah, like you said, Taylor, they're just tired. It's preseason for three of the four players in that back line, and the fourth player, uh, Gomez, doesn't really play. So... Just a lot of different factors fighting against their ability to succeed last night. Not that some of the mistakes are excusable necessarily, but things to learn from and not things to overreact to. Uh, final question, since we're going a little bit long,
1: comes from at J L Castro. We had a lot of questions about the price of the tickets, why they weren't cheaper. Uh, there are. Myriad reasons for why U.S. soccer refuses to change the ticket prices, but it boils down to, as I understand it, they want to keep those prices high because they want to be able to turn a profit to say that they are profitable, and it's easier to do that when you are selling tickets for an exorbitant amount versus having to sell out a stadium for... $20 tickets. But uh, I think that's their logic. I think the argument would be, do they need to be making as much of a profit versus getting people in the stands? But that leads to the next question. This is uh, from JL Castro, but many other people wondered, do you think there is anywhere in the country that could have hosted this game and not had a low turnout? Ultimately, a meaningless friendly is never going to be a big draw, but perhaps throwing a bone to a smaller or overlooked market could get some support. Uh, I'm very interested to hear what your thoughts were on the atmosphere, Joe. I will just say I don't think so. I don't think that taking it to a smaller market would have gotten attendance up. If anything, it would have just pissed off the smaller market because it's like, oh, I see. Now you'll send us a game. But I think – like. The tradition has been that they have this game uh, in California, that they play it uh, like in StubHub or wherever it may be, but on the West Coast, so that I think they can get people there into nice conditions, but kind of stable conditions. They play a couple games, they have this camp, and then on they go. They don't want to move it around the country. They don't want to have a bunch of logistics and flights. I think they try to make it uh, pretty standardized, uh, and then on they go. So there are Maybe some areas where the tickets would have been a little bit higher, but for the most part, I think you're not going to get a ton of traction in January for a B slash C team coached by Anthony Hudson.
2: No, I mean, you play the game in Des Moines, and you're you're probably not having a big turnout there as far as a smaller market goes. That's an extreme example. but Shots fired at Iowa. I know. Lo- love you, Iowa. Love corn. Big corn fan. Had Had corn chowder for the first time the other day. Lots of corn. Lots yeah. of corn in it. Um, so if you're looking for some your corn, corn bread in that
1: corn chowder, you're good to go. Oh,
2: baby. Oh, baby. Toss some corn casserole on the side and we are cooking up a nice stew. Um, <laughs> no, no, I mean, it, like you said, Wednesday night, really late kickoff. Uh, I mean, not, not late for California because it was seven. Seven local time when it kicked off. But uh, you know, midweek for a, a game coming off of a World Cup where sort of attention spans are, are not, attention's not fully focused on this game. I don't think you're really going to get a big crowd anywhere for this one. Maybe you play it on a Saturday and then you play the next game on a Saturday, and it's a different story. I, I would bet, I don't know if the Galaxy Stadium will be sold out for the game against Colombia on Saturday, but Colombia is a better draw for the United States than Serbia is in a lot of different pockets, certainly in LA. And it's a Saturday, it's a weekend. So, I think we're going to see a much better crowd at that match than we did last night. There were 11,000-plus last night. The atmosphere sounded actually good in the stadium, in my opinion. It wasn't great. It wasn't It wasn't like it was for MLS Cup when I was there a few months ago. But, I mean, there were Serbia fans there that were stoked to see their team. There were U.S. fans there that were, that were cheering. So it got loud when the goals were scored, and it got loud during stretches of the match. It wasn't great. I don't love that U.S. soccer has their ticket prices so high because nope. it does limit the atmospheres that you see. I think that, that's kind of yep. crappy, to be honest. But I, I will say... In U.S. soccer's defense, we talk about them hiring a big-time manager for the U.S. men's national team, and I talk about how Vlatko is not my ideal candidate and not my, my favorite coach for the women's team. Like you got to pay those people. I would assume that those are the highest-paid people in the entire organization. If you want the U.S. to go and hire Jose Mourinho or Jurgen Klopp or Pep Guardiola, that's going to take money. So I'm not saying that that's the best path to go on, but U.S. soccer does need money to do big and ambitious things, whether this is the right way to get that money, I, I either don't know or I would just say straight up, no, it's probably not. But there's there's a reason why U.S. soccer wants to generate some cash. Uh, and I would assume they will generate some cash or some more cash uh, in
1: that Columbia game. Joe, you said 11000 plus last night. If there are 20000 for the Columbia game, you think 70% pro-Columbia for that one? You think 30% USA? That sounds pretty good, Taylor. Maybe 65, 35, but we're splitting hairs at that point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, we will be back to discuss that game and much, much more. Uh, but for now, uh, we've got this show today. The big thing will be tomorrow. That will be just. Graham and Ryan. Uh, We split it up. The Americans talking about the USA, uh, the Brits talking about British things, I'm assuming. Uh, But Joe Lowry, thank you for uh, for covering this game in person, for bringing us the wisdom and the knowledge and for once again having a lovely closet to record in.
2: No, thank you, Taylor. I I love this show. I love doing it. It's fun to talk about the US in a slightly lower stakes, lower stress environment. Yeah, it's good to be back doing it. Yeah, I was slightly less intense about this one
1: than the the Wales and England games uh, when we were together. So, yeah, I agree with you. Nice to be able to relax and enjoy one of the U.S.'s performance, even if it wasn't the best result. Uh, But that is all from us on Serbia 2, USA 1. Thank you all so much for listening, and we will talk to you again very soon.